Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The border is the biggest story in America. And how we have been covering it, the extent to which we've been covering it, the engagement that we've been giving it isn't enough. And yet it's far more than the vast majority of people in any level of media out there. We have talked more about the border, engaged more about the border, recognized the multiple facets of the border better than the rest. And everybody needs to come around to this. What's amazing is it is starting to happen. Not movement, not changes. Some people are still wholly political and completely intransigent. But as a subject, one that actually makes a difference in the 2024 election. Oh, yeah. It's officially here. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. I'd love it if you'd head on over there, subscribe, be a part of what we're doing, support what we're doing. Let's start with uh, Charlemagne the God, who's a radio host out of, out of New York uh, and uh, syndicated. He does other media work, and he's doing an interview with Fox News Digital. Listen. I have the privilege, man, of uh, you know doing morning radio and speaking to, you know, working class people every single day. I have the privilege of, you know, being involved in my community from, you know, New York to New Jersey to South Carolina, where I get to look people in the eyes and have, you know, real conversations, you know, with them. And, you know, people are really concerned about this issue. Like, I I've, I've, I honestly have never spoken to as many people who are concerned about the migrant issue as I have, you know, o- over the past year. And, I mean, I've heard everything from, you know, uh uh, the gang MS-13, you know, uh, overrunning neighborhoods. I've heard, um, you know, what we saw just happened in New York City where the migrants, they took 2,000 migrants and, and, and put them in the school and made the school stay home, made the, the students stay home and, 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 and uh, you know, do school via, via, via Zoom. Now, he's discussing an issue about migrants. I need you to put that to the side because that's actually a different conversation than the border. Yes, they connect, but how people see it is different. And if you don't know the story about the high schools, James Madison High School, you have these illegal immigrants and others staying in in a field in New York, right? Kids, sorry, you can't play soccer here. We're going to put these people here because Texas sent them. The people coming across the border, being invited across the border, lying about asylum, they're not coming to Texas. They're coming to America. So New York, you're going to get your share. In Chicago, you're going to get your share. Martha's Vineyard, you're going to get your share, etc. So they don't have a place for them. They're overrun in New York, in a sanctuary city. <laughs> so they get put in a field, but the weather got too cold. So sorry, James Madison High School. You have to engage class via Zoom. We're going to take these people here illegally, and we are going to put them in the school and when it gets too cold again it'll happen again so that's what he's talking about but i need you to put the 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 conversation about migrant to the side just for a moment remind me to get back to it let's talk about the actual border and the failures that have taken place under secretary alejandro mayorkas 
When he says we need congressional action, I don't disagree with him. We do need congressional action and we don't have it. But this is not to say that the actions taken by Alejandro Mayorkas are acceptable. They are not. They have allowed for more people to come through. It has been, while he's down there often talking to Border Patrol, it seems that it's a nonstop fight against Border Patrol. And at the second hearing today about his possible impeachment, Representative Benny Thompson, the same uh, Benny Thompson who led the January 6th nonsense inquiry, stated this. I wish my Republican colleagues would engage the secretary to provide the department the funding it needs, but they have refused. I look forward to continuing to work with Secretary Mayorkas on critical homeland security issues facing the country and commend him for his unwavering commitment to duty even in the face of this sham impeachment. Anytime the political right is involved in anything, it's a sham. His devotion to duty, what is, what possibly are we discussing here the border is far worse the situation is far worse the amount of of contacts that border patrol is making is through the roof there are areas where they are outnumbered 200 to 1 and there is no end in sight yes you had anthony blinken actually going to mexico to beg for help and that's how the trains got slowed down or shut down where people were coming over by the thousands Border Patrol is worked to the bone. The morale is low. They're just waiting for retirement. You're offering bonuses now to get people. Makes perfect sense. I don't have any issue with with bonuses. It's very hard to get people when you won't let them do their job. And that goes back to Mayorkas as an appendage of the Biden administration. That is what cannot be denied. This is the conversation that we should be having. Instead, we get Vice President Kamala Harris on The View talking nonsense. First of all, everyone knows our immigration system is broken. Right. Okay. The first bill that we dropped, the first bill that we offered right after inauguration was to fix the immigration system. A comprehensive plan to deal with the immigration system. Do you think they've taken it up? No. We want solutions. The solutions are at hand. But frankly, we're in an election year. And the folks who want to return Donald Trump to the White House would prefer to talk about a broken immigration system instead of focusing on the solutions that are at hand. Say at hand one more time. Tell me the solutions are at hand uh, one more time. The Republicans will say we've got, what is it, House Bill 2? 1,002? We're ready to go. Oh, no, that bill's racist, Republicans. We have enough blame to go around in both parties. The failures are epic. But utilizing empty platitudes like this provides no value whatsoever. Absolutely none. Yet that's all we get from this administration. Anybody who says comprehensive immigration reform is talking out their butt. They have no idea what they're talking about. It is just a catchphrase. But catchphrases are where it's at. And the administration is using many of them. When Corinne Jean-Pierre is questioned by reporters because she's lying about where Republicans are regarding Border Patrol agents, getting rid of Border Patrol agents, defunding Border Patrol agents, you know what she says? 
We like the lie. Thank you. Um, why are you repeating this false claim that Republicans voted to reduce the number of Border Patrol agents, even though the Washington Post gave the administration three Pinocchios for that? So we don't believe it's a false claim. Uh, our statements were very direct here. Uh, last year, House GOP voted, uh, voted, and not only did they vote for it, but they touted. They touted their Limit, Save, Grow Act. That's the act. Well, let me, and they vowed they, that it would they never limit, affect they, Border Patrol. They, they voted for and touted it, right? This is an act. And this would have forced the elimination of 2,000 Border Patrol agents. That's what this act that they touted, that they voted for uh, in the House. Uh, so that was their proposal, and, and that was so what they, they voted for back in, in May. The reporters are saying that's not what's in the proposal. It's not what Republicans are saying. And Corinne Jean-Pierre is like, no, no, that's it. Lying. It's a flat-out lie. And she's like, yeah, I'm cool with that. I'm down with that. Here, let me read from my binder because I have no ability or capacity to do this job, which she doesn't, by the way. Even Democrats are discussing the issue discussing that the border is the problem and saying that Biden isn't doing enough about it. And it's not just John Fetterman who the amount of people discussing, okay, we need to study his brain. He's a progressive. He's a near communist. He, he, he was a, he was a little ne'er-do-well there in Pennsylvania. He gets elected. He has a stroke, gets elected to the Senate, is recovering. And the next thing you know, he's making sense on the border. He's making sense uh, on, on Israel. Uh, what's going on here? It, it's, it's crazy, right? I, I'm totally, totally with you. It's the weirdest stuff in the world, but he's making sense here. And allies admit there's a crisis at the border and uh, i don't know how anybody could pretend that there isn't that's as clear and as concise as you can be by the way you'll note he spoke in complete sentences there clearly he's better from the stroke now he should never have been elected he should have been given the time to heal that should have happened at home i said it i meant it i i, I still believe every word of that But of course, now you're seeing Democrats, more than a dozen in the House, formally rebuking President Biden. It was a Republican-led resolution. Republican-led resolution. That's not an easy one to do. Denouncing the Biden administration's open borders policy, condemning the national security and public safety crisis along the southwest border, and urging President Biden to end his administration's open borders efforts. Now, uh, this is uh, Henry Cuellar. Uh, Jared uh, Golden, uh, Mary uh, Peltola, she's out of Alaska, and Jared Moskowitz out of Florida. It's symbolic, sure, but they're doing it. Why are they doing it? Well, uh, two things. A, they realize that it moves their voters. And B, maybe they understand that Joe Biden won't be on the ticket, so there's really no harm in doing so. There's no harm. None whatsoever. He won't be on the ticket. Blame Biden. It's good. But this brings us back to what Charlemagne the God, this radio host, um, a popular, very popular host, is discussing about the migrant issue. We talk about the border as a matter of safety and security for the nation. 
when people bring up the migrant issue, they're saying, wait a second, this is affecting my life. A conversation about the border is in the ether. It is a policy conversation. It is a wonks conversation. Safety and security, that's happening over there. The migrant issue is these people are robbing people in the streets. They're taking over the schools. They're making my life difficult. They inconvenienced my wife, and I don't want to have to hear about it. So now you, politician, have got a freaking problem. That is how you know the issue is here to stay and absolutely will move the 2024 election. Democrats feel fine and comfortable with coming out and talking about it because they know that they've got to get elected. They don't care what heat they give Biden. Maybe a question whether he'll be on the ballot. And the utilization of the term migrants as opposed to border saying that this is personal. You understand that what Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, has done, he has made this subject, more than anybody, the front and center subject. We knew it was the biggest story in America. Now everybody knows it's the biggest story in America. There is no debate. It's the biggest story in America. Well, what happens? What gets done here? Is this the moment to the legislation because what i want is the legislation what i need is the legislation what i desire is the legislation that brings technology to the border that allows for more border patrol agents to be hired at some higher numbers that engages or remain in mexico policy that discusses legal immigration for people who want to be workers you cannot pick lettuce without these people and if you think that that's some kind of dismissive thing i'm telling you what the farmers say through the people i talk to we don't have the workers and you need them there is a labor issue here and an economic issue here it is great Thankfully, there are Democrats who are taking this seriously and serious about legislation to solve the problem. To my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, let's be honest with immigrants who deserve better than what you're offering them. Don't welcome immigrants if you plan to reject them. If you keep pushing your bigoted H.R. 2 bill, then also pass this bill. I've taken the liberty of drafting it for you. It removes... The Statue of Liberty, our largest symbol that tells people to come here. This is who you are, removing the fabric of America. So I want to know which Republican who supports and voted for H.R. 2 will introduce this bill. This is the kind of seriousness we're going to get from the Democratic Party. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. This is the kind of serious? Your bill is so bigoted, you want to remove the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty is not policy. Colossus, the Emma Lazarus poem, which is at the bottom of the statue, is not policy. Give me, it's the new Colossus. I always say Colossus, the new Colossus. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, and it's breathe free, not be free. That is not policy, 
Congressman. That's Max Frost out of Florida. Who's taking it on the chin for this. He actually had someone standing behind him with a poster of the Statue of Liberty. And then they flipped the page. And all of a sudden the statue was gone. OMG. Are you kidding me right now? It just disappeared. Oh, God. True story. A vicious mother, isn't he? Well, he's not very nice. You either want to solve the problem at the border or you don't. You either want to engage in legislation or you don't. And if Democrats want to be unserious about this, protecting Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, and engaging in ridiculous stunts like this, go ahead. Go ahead. Meanwhile, people feel affected personally, and they're not going to vote for the people who aren't taking care of them and protecting them and their kids and their jobs and their businesses personally. It's the biggest story in America, and there are people on the left who still want to pretend there's nothing to see here. Okay, people, move along. There's nothing to see here. Yeah, those days are over. There's plenty to see here. This is Tony Katz today. NBC has a problem with Jesus. I mean, it, it, it's not my problem. It's their problem. You've got the quarterback for the Texans, the Houston Texans, C.J. Stroud, who has come on, clearly rookie of the year. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. He's throwing crazy right now. And he's a religious cat. He mentions Jesus quite a bit. He talks about his religion quite a bit. And in an interview after the game with NBC, here's what they posted. this moment mean? I mean, it's been amazing being in this city for as short as I've been, but the love that I've got, I've really just been doing it for Houston, man. People back home, I'm blessed enough to be in the position I am and blessed enough to be playing at a high level right now, and uh, we got to just keep it going. But I'm- That's how NBC put it on Twitter. That's not what God said. First and foremost, I just want to give all glory and praise my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean... It's been amazing. You you didn't think mentioning, uh, giving uh, praise to his Lord and Savior was worthy? You edited it for time? Oh, come now. NBC. NBC, you did it on purpose. And it's, it is obvious to see. And, and, and let's say it a different way. You didn't do it on purpose. What you have is an unconscious bias against Christians. <laughs> That's right. I'm using uh, your lefty terminology against you. And it feels pretty good. Feels pretty good indeed. It's either outward hate or an unconscious bias. You figure it out. You're going to have to attend some courses. Um, uh, Christians call it church and, and, and you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you're going to have to get this all settled and get it right. Maybe a trip to HR or two or three, even if you meant nothing by it, you meant something by it. I, that, there's no other way that it's going to be taken. You look really bad. NBC really, truly super bad. And honestly, you deserve the derision you get and CJ Stroud. More and more people are going to love him because of this. Just watch. Well, anybody who's not a Colts fan.
I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Siakam. It is the trade, people. And it's not just a trade. It's a big trade. The Pacers engaged in a three-team deal to get Pascal Siakam from the Raptors, sending Bruce Brown, an, uh, a couple others, and first-round picks. Two first-round picks in 2024 and a first-round pick in 2026 for a guy who's at the end of a four-year, $137 million deal, which is going to have to get redone. And this move is getting nothing but this. People are happy in Indiana. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you, JMV. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. Joins us right now to break this down. Uh, I think there were questions about what the Pacers were going to do with uh, trade uh, deadlines, with, with, with thinking about the future. Certainly, they had the draft picks and some levels of cap space to do it. But was this on the radar, this uh, Pascal uh, Siakam from the Raptors, and your take on it? Yeah, it was on the radar. And, and really, part of the radar was Tyrese Halliburton, who had conversations about Pascal Siakam with Pascal Siakam about what he has envisioned for this place and how he would like for him to to come here and play and then obviously be extended and continue to play. Basis actually, Tony, looked at both Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi at the time when they were both still in Toronto. They just didn't want to give up as much as it was going to take to get them both. So they end up with Siakam, who is on the underside there of 30, who is one of the better scorers in the NBA, 22-plus points per game, and exactly what they've been looking for in a, a forward uh, to be you know, alongside Miles, uh, to be somebody that can take some of the, the scoring uh, pressure off of uh, Tyrese Halliburton, gives them another really good player. And to answer your question, I would not have been on board because I did not want I did not want Benedict Mather to be traded. I didn't want Mather going anywhere. It would have been kicking and screaming probably with Jarrett Walker, but I probably would have done that. But the fact the Pacers were able to keep Matherin, Walker, whom we haven't seen as a rookie very much at all, and then Andrew Nimhart, who, by the way, is a native of Canada and would have been somebody Toronto would have been asking about. The fact that you're able to do that and then you succumb with Jordan Wara and Bruce Brown and these three first rounders that we like to reference this all the time. And I get sick of hearing about draft capital. I thought this was an absolute no brainer. Now granted you want to make sure that you keep him around here for a while. You don't want this to be a rental, but from the sounds of it, it seems like that there was, I don't know if there's a gentleman's agreement, probably not. Right. But on the other hand, it sounds like that Siakam is cool with coming back here, given what he expects to be a part of here in Indiana. So I was absolutely on board. Talking to JMV, he is the voice of sports in Indiana. What does it do for the team? Immediate impact, long-term impact? Uh, Both, I think. Now, some would suggest, well, you know, he's around 30 and he's just going to get worse. I don't know if you view this like an NFL running back, Tony, whatsoever. 
they're aggressive. They go out and get somebody that can score, somebody that is a threat. You can send guys back to maybe naturally garden guys. Like, give me a great example. You know, Bruce Brown is six foot three. He's not going to be, you know, matched up with Laurie Marketing, who is uh, seven feet tall anymore, right? I mean, you get somebody that is more apt and has the capability of guarding more. So I think the only skepticism that I have seen so far would be from, and really it's odd, because the Pacers are going to have his bird rights, which is going to give, they're going to give them the opportunity to match anybody's offer and give him the highest offer. So right there, the leverage would seem that he would come back if he has any success whatsoever and get the amount of money that he wants. Now, the only skepticism I have seen is, will the Pacers want to pay him that amount of money, which I think ultimately when he's you know well past 30, will end up being like $50 million a year. Will they want to do that? Will his numbers match up to that in years down the road? So it is certainly more in the now. It's being aggressive in the now, but you can't eyeball the future. I just don't happen to think this guy's going to fall off any considerable cliff anytime soon. And I love the fact that the Pacers are aggressive. And you know what, Tony? It wouldn't be so bad if that rubbed off on the Colts. You think some of that could rub off on the Colts and Chris Ballard? Just rub a little bit off right there, right? Be a little bit more aggressive. We don't always have to be playing for 2029 and 2030. I love the fact that Kevin Pritchett and Chad Buchanan were this aggressive. And this was a deal that the way that it's worked out right now, there's no way in the world I would consider them refusing uh, first things first, I think the Colts have other things they're dealing with, like the health of their owner, and they ain't thinking about nothing else. And that is a story we will eventually talk about, you and I, because there's a whole bunch there that leads to a whole bunch in other places. I want to stay on the Pacers here, because one of the things that, that, that I saw from the response of Pascal Siakam coming uh, to Indy was that the fans looked at this and not only thought that this was fantastic, because this is a, this is a high-level trade. Three teams are involved. This is Kevin Pritchard, uh, the president uh, of, of the team, putting himself on the line, laying it right out there, saying, okay, we're going to go make a run. Hey, Rick Carlisle, you want to talk about having a team that can do? Here you go. Here's the ingredients. Now go cook me a championship. Uh, the, the fan base looks at this and says, this is going to attract people to Indiana. Sure. I mean players. I'm talking about attacking players, attracting players to Indiana. Yeah, well, and, and the player side of things I'll get to in a second, but, you know, Indiana is not this destination location NBA-wise or never been thought about, uh, you know, no mountains, no, no oceans, none of that. But when you can have a player of the caliber, the elite-level caliber that makes everybody around him better, which we have plenty of evidence of so far around here, and then you get other players that want to play with him. You get players that want to be a part of that. I mean, we have seen that in many different destinations before. You don't necessarily now have to be, well, I want to go here and live my life on vacation. I mean, you can do that and go vacation someplace else, but he can drop dimes on you nonstop, put you in position to score, put you in position to get a higher dollar value contractually, more looks, and ad revenue for your own self, it does. It makes and transitions this place into a destination, and it revolves around the center, which is that of Tyrese Halliburton. He's the center of it all. He makes everybody better, and this is a true statement. Guys do want to come and play with that caliber of talent. 
So you could see that this would attract players here. Now the question is, how do the Pacers afford it? Talk to me about where the money uh, comes from, and is this team, okay, going out and getting one guy, and you know you're about to have to deal with the contract. Clearly they're going to deal with it. That's one thing. But you want to grab three more guys at this level. The Pacers have this kind of coin? That, well, and, and they've positioned themselves with you know the, the salary cap and having money under the salary cap because clearly – uh, you know, there's never been any indication. There's always been no way that they want to go into the league's luxury tax. Very few do. Uh, the Pacers certainly would be one of those that do not. However, they position themselves, Tony, not just in making this type of deal, but if they wanted to, honestly, they could still do something of major proportions prior to the February trade deadline to make themselves better right now and to also have an eyeball on the future. They have Buddy Heald, whom I like a great deal, right? But he's got an expiring contract. Obi Toppin, whom I like a great deal, but he's got an expiring contract. And one of the things that Siakam does is it's going to squeeze out some playing time for some guys. Jalen Smith, expiring contract. He's going to become a free agent. He's been in the starting lineup. Clearly now he's going to go to the bench. And then maybe Isaiah Jackson's minutes get pushed back. What happens to Obi Toppin? There are going to be some playing time adjustments made here across the board. However, they still have the flexibility prior to the trade deadline to do something because of the expiring contracts. Think about it. Phoenix basically gave Jalen Smith away in a song, and the Pacers can reap the benefits of it with his play on the floor or maybe with an expiring contract or using him as, as something involved in a trade. You know, Buddy Heald's expiring contract. Maybe he's tradable. Obi Toppin, the same thing, a one-year deal. Really, you look at this deal with Siakam, the centerpiece of it is the fact that they went out. They had to pay somebody in the offseason. They brought in Bruce Brown. They brought in Bruce Brown. They got Bruce Brown paid, which I'm sure he loves, but it also gave them the flexibility ultimately to make that deal for Siakam. And that's how it's working right now. They're always leaving themselves, at least at this point, to me, a considerable exit strategy whereas a lot of other teams don't. And we'll see how this plays out. But you, you get all this together, Tony. The moral of the story is, and at some point you've got to do something with it. And this is their first really big swing with it, and I like it. We talk about some of these players that, that might be uh, moving and, and things that, that, that could change. Now let's take it for, from, from the top. Let's talk about Rick Carlisle, the coach. Let's talk about Kevin Pritchard. Because when I say uh, Pritchard put it out there, he did. But Rick Carlisle now has no excuses. You have got a team that can play. You have a team that could be exciting before this. Now this is the Pacers organization saying, we expect wins. We expect playoffs. We expect more. Rick Carlisle up to this challenge? expectations. Rick Carlisle came on my show a year ago, October, right before the start of the season. Talked glowingly about the roster that he had, but say, hey, this is going to be a bumpy ride. There's going to be some moments where we're going to lose and this product doesn't look good and you're going to feel like it's not going in the right direction. He was cushioning the blow, and everybody understood that. But you're absolutely right now. There's no more cushioning the blow. The expectations are ramped up greatly. Moving forward, this year... You know, obviously, you keep Siakam around next year. So, yeah, this is just what they've done with a reboot 
but they have expedited the reboot. Normally, like I'll give you a great example, Philadelphia's process took about 10 years. It was like the better part of a decade before they finally became what they are right now and still kind of knocking on the door, still on the fringe. The Pacers now are going into that category of, oh, hey, great, they're rebuilding, and they got young talent, and they got flexibility, and they got trade assets and you know draft capital and all this stuff. Now you go from that, uh, yeah, now it's time to win. It's time to win consistently. It's time to do something in April, time to do something in May. So, yes, those expectations are ramped up again to a point to where you're right. I mean, look at Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle's been there and done that. Actually, Rick Carlisle, I think, is the least of my concerns right now, if I have any concerns. I really don't have any concerns until I see these guys play. I see these guys play. Maybe rotationally speaking, that's when we kind of get on Rick Carlisle if things aren't working out. But right now, he would be the least of my concerns, again, until I see these guys play together and see how everybody adapts. Is this a statement from the Simon family saying um, it's, it's time for championships uh, speedily and in my lifetime? Is, is this a statement of, hey, Kevin Pritchard, hey, Rick Carlisle, um, get it done or you're, or you're out. We've come to win. We're placing our marker down. Tony, if it's not, you know, from the Simons, uh, it's certainly from the Pacer organization from top to bottom, which obviously they own. So, yeah, I mean, it is to the fans, and it's also to Tyrese Halliburton. It is you were extended here. You had confidence in us to build around you and build you a championship-caliber team, and this is what we're doing to back up our word not go out and play. And you're going to say, well, wait a minute. Well, these guys get paid so much. Why is that necessary? Well, if you watch sports nowadays, it's necessary across all sports landscapes to make sure that you keep your guy happy. And, and really what they have at Halliburton, and anyone I talked to him back before the 500, you could not have found a better all-around dude to fit that mold of what you want for your superstar here. So not only are they telling the fans we're ready to go ahead and go out and start winning consistently right now, but they're telling Halliburton, we told you this is what we're going to do, and now we're executing that plan. So it works both ways. JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, rate this deal, 1 being the worst, 10 being uh, you're a happy guy. I'm going to give it a big Fat nine right there. Big fat nine. And the only thing I don't know is, you know, what with regard to how much or if he's going to the future. But I'd have to assume that doing that deal, they were fairly sold, if not completely sold, on he would be back. Now it's just time to go out and do what you do. And that's hoop. And I expect he's going to be able to do that at a high level. So give me not on Principal Rooney nine times. Nine a nine. Look at that. Nine times. Uh, was, was it McClurg, right? That was the name right of the actress, there. McClurg? Ferris Bueller's Day Off reference for you. Yeah, I know, but today. I'm talking about the actress. Her name was McClurg, wasn't it? Edie, Edie McClurg. There it is. Yes, Edie, Edie McClurg. McClurg. And then uh, I believe Jeffrey Jones, who uh, had some issues post-career of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Issues. That's a, that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> But that, again, another story for another day. JMV, the voice of sports <laughs> yes, in Indiana. Yes, yes. I appreciate you taking the time, man. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. <laughs> in Russia.
Russia, they have taken to the streets 10,000 people strong, clashing with riot police. What are they doing? Protesting the war in Ukraine. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. They're in the rural town of Abaymak, or is it Baymak? B A Y M A K. Um, they had uh, started because an anti war activist was jailed. People get killed in Russia all the time. Found on the side of the road. They threw, fell out of a window. Uh, Putin is killing political enemies left and right is what has happened. And the people, they're aware of it. So they're really taking their, their life into their hands when, when they're, they're doing this. But 10,000 people taking to the streets, engaged in uh, the, the, these protests, riot police pushing them back. There's a speechwriter, as the Daily Mail reports it, who stated this is how the Soviet Union collapsed. So therefore, the plan is not to have the collapse and to bring force against people who may be rioting and want an end to the war and want an end to the political killings, etc. Huh. Huh. Well, uh, I expect more people to get killed. Don't get me wrong. I, I do I do expect it. it. It is Vladimir Putin's Russia. But anytime there is destabilization in Russia, this is good for the rest of us. Give Putin more to think about, more to do, more th- resources to be wasted. Uh, oh, I am definitely down with that. But these people are going to pay with their lives. And they must know it at this stage. This is Tony Katz today.